Amen. Amen. Good morning, King of Kings. Good morning. How we have longed to look upon your faces. Marty, thank you for... um, Hey, I need to be on, don't I? How's that? A little bit better? Okay, good. Good morning again. It's good to see you. We really long to see your faces. Excuse me. God began birthing a heart for this congregation several months ago. So this is a long work in progress. And that feeling has only grown since we arrived here. Maybe you could say crash landed two weeks ago or about two weeks ago. So uh, this is not your typical sermon. If that's what you came for, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to wait till next week. Sorry about that. Uh, I just want to do two things. One, to tell you a little bit about myself, because it's helpful. A lot of you I don't know, and you don't know me. So give you a little bit to orient you, okay? I want to give you a little something there, and then uh, over coming weeks and months and years, we'll uh, fill in some gaps, okay? Um, But two, I really wanted to speak to my specific hopes and prayers for King of Kings, the work that I hope God is calling us into together. Now, when you hear me speak to these things, don't presume that I'm saying none of that's already going on, okay? That's not what I mean. I'm just saying these are the hopes and prayers that God has put upon my heart and uh, burdened me with, and I believe it has something to do with the work we're going to do together. So what I expect, because of the way the Holy Spirit works, is that those two things are probably going to dovetail at points, okay? So, okay, so a bit about me. So I was born and raised in Texas, and I came to faith in an evangelical United Methodist Church. I've lived all over the U.S., uh, Seattle, Washington, Colorado Springs, Colorado, the Phoenix area in Arizona, most recently, Southern Oklahoma, where Jude's family's from. Uh, we even lived for a few months in Italy, which was very cool, and now Charlotte. So my joke is that now I've lived in all four time zones in the U.S. So, okay, I'm now at Eastern Standard Time. Um, I've been married to the ever-engaging Jude for 24 years, over 24 years, and we have a creative and lively daughter named Ava. She's nine. You probably saw her come up and give me a big hug. So I've been a priest for about seven years, and I'm also a musician, and I love the intersection of art and faith and theology. So you'll often find me uh, sort of twiddling around with that. Um, And although Charlotte is new to us, my family does have a history here. My dad's from North Carolina, so he's the resident Tar Heel in the family. And I grew up... uh, Use this, okay. Apparently, maybe we have a dead battery. Thank you, Chris, for the audible there. Check, 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 check. Hey, now you can actually hear me about that. Uh, So my dad's from here, and we grew up as boys taking road trips out to Boone, Hickory, Lenore, that sort of area. So um, we do have some North Carolina in us. I have a little North Carolina in me, even though Charlotte is new. Um, Having been raised to faith in Texas, I really do consider myself a Southerner. Now what I've found is when I get her in the deep south, I kind of get this, yeah, but. (laughs) See, Texans kind of have the reputation. They're like the crazy uncle that comes to Christmas every five years or so, right, and and causes a stir. So, but I say that, that I consider myself a Southerner because I was raised in the Bible Belt, and I know the powerful nature of cultural Christianity. So the Southern variation I find of that is particularly powerful and very potent. We're going to church, even if it's social or dutiful, equals, hey, I'm a Christian, okay? But there's appearance, what we see on the outside, and there's reality, which is what's going on in people's hearts. Now, what I've read of the stats of Charlotte, uh, most people, I think 90 plus percent, identify as Christians. That's how they self-identify. 
But a significant portion don't follow Jesus in any orthodox sense. Now that is a hard knot to untie, okay? How do you re-evangelize people? How do you do that? How do you convince people of their need when they think, man, they have got God in their back pocket? They're good. It's part of our Southern culture, and it's alive and well, I believe, here too. So I expect for us all to be swimming in that reality as we move forward and as Kings grows. It's just part of the Southern Christian story, I think. Okay, that's a little bit about me. Can I move into hopes and prayers? Is that cool? The work that I hope God is calling us into? One, uh, and the reason we even brought the kids up has a lot to do with this. Uh, and if you're a note taker, I I'll, I'll help you take your points, okay? I'll try to keep those clear instead of, you know, you looking like you have a smattering of disconnected notes. So one, how's that for clarity? I hope and pray for a flourishing children and youth ministry. Flourishing. Children, I believe, are a sign of life in any church. Sign of life. And I believe they're the most important members among us. That doesn't mean I don't value uh, us older folk, but there's something special about them. We have such an incredible opportunity, a holy responsibility to shape these young hearts unto the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There's stats out there that show that 80 to 90% of people come to faith before they're 18. So these years are really critical. Now, personally, I was fortunate enough to belong to a solid youth group. Gave me a strong foundation, a foundation which is still part of my life, okay? That Wesleyan tradition of personal piety, it stuck with me. It's the context where I met Jesus. It's the place where I grew in my faith tremendously. It's the place where I heard the call of the full-time ministry 30-plus years ago. The people in those ministries changed my life in innumerable ways, the trajectory of my life, Okay? So I can't imagine my life without that foundation. So I hope and pray for kings for a flourishing children and youth ministry. And look how many we have. <laughs> I didn't even invite the youth up, and I know we've got some out there as well, so I can see some of those faces. So they're a gift, and they're a sign of life. Okay. Two, second bullet point for those that are note-takers. Um, I hope for a thriving pastorate ministry. Most of you know what pastorates are, but there are small groups ministry. And I find that small groups is where church really happens. That's where the magic seems to really happen. Look at the end of Acts 2 sometime when you have a little, uh, a little time. And observe the Christian life, the shared life, how it's described. This is where you journey through life on a deeper level and you don't live in isolation. And i got to tell you, if you're, if you're part of a small group, that will change your Sunday morning experience. Profoundly, it, To say it enriches it is too small of a word, but it does. It does something there. But Christian community takes intentionality. It takes commitment, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen automatically. It's where we learn to love. It's where we learn to give and receive love, I should say. Okay? And community. It's healthy to be in community with other believers as we, as the scriptures say, work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Now, sometimes we wrestle together. Sometimes we, oh, we rub up against one another, don't we? That's natural. That's just part of growing in faith. So I challenge you to jump in if you haven't done so already. Join a pastor. I hope and pray to see this ministry expand over time. It would be beautiful to see pastors all over Charlotte. Because living intentionally, living communally changes us. It's very countercultural, actually. They're just no lone rangers in Christianity. So I want us to be all connected. Okay? Connection. Three. Rich, engaging, beautiful worship. Some of that I see is already here. 
So I, I'm not real worried about this one, to be honest. Our tradition offers rich, engaging, beautiful worship. I believe in spades. We've got a 2,000-year history of this treasure trove, treasure trove, excuse me, of worship, of wisdom. And our worship is both centuries wide and globally deep. I mean, it just there's so much there to draw upon. It can be glorious. I love it. I'm going to put this up a little bit so I'm not crouching over the, the lectern, okay? Our worship has such deep biblical foundations that we lean upon. It is just shot through with scripture. Now, did you know that liturgy can be spirit-filled and dynamic? Yeah. Absolutely it can. It's not just these rote words that we recite. It's a living, breathing encounter with the one true God. So I want our worship to reflect the fullness of God's character. And I want it to be, and I know this word is overused, and I'm so sorry. I want it to be real. Okay? You can say authentic, real, choose your favorite adjective. But what I mean by that is this, where we bring all of who we are to all of who God is. When you show up in the mornings, whatever's going on in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you can't check that at the door, folks. You can't do it. It comes with you, and God knows it. And in fact, he invites you to bring it. Okay? So let's be real. Let's bring all of who we are to all of who God is. Here's what's interesting about how uh, we worship. The way we engage in worship, and I'd make a strong case for this, the way we engage in worship or don't engage tells us a lot about how we live our lives Monday through Saturday. It really does. If you're on autopilot, you're not in touch with your heart on Sunday mornings, chances are you're probably just as disengaged out in the world as well. So I hope and pray for engaged worshipers because they make for engaged everyday missionaries. That's just a fact. So I pray for that for us. I pray for that for us. Something that is very apparent, and I know it's been part of the discussion for, oh, a year or two, uh, I pray and hope for, this is four, okay? Uh, a new church home, a permanent facility. Amen. Okay, amen. Yeah, I, I expect you're more amens than that, but I'll take that as a <laughs> amen. Okay, that's cool. And what I mean by this, this is more than a building, and this is where we need to keep our eyes really clear. The church is the people of God gathered, okay? The church is where uh, being the very presence of Jesus, just you do that wherever you are, okay? The facility is there to support three things. Worship, formation, mission. Worship, formation, mission. And those three are so intertwined, by the way. You probably knew that, but I thought it was worth a mention. In a way, that's a tall order. So let's, let's, let's take a look at this. So we find that God is calling us to a permanent church home. Okay? It's a unique time. It's a pivotal time. And you could say, in a sense, and kind of think outside the box here with me, that we're a fairly well-funded, very large church plant. Can we think of ourselves that way just a little bit? Maybe a replant. Um, and the place that we plant will ground our mission. It will anchor us. It will. Place offers us a people and a neighborhood to serve. Place offers us people groups to commend ourselves to. Okay? Place puts us in touch with souls who need Jesus Christ. Place matters. It's where the incarnation happens, where the gospel of Jesus springs up inside us. And I believe as we step towards a permanent facility, we're going to see new areas of mission emerge. Absolutely. Place grounds mission. Place gives us focus and a more defined sense of mission, I believe. That brings me to uh, next point, number five. Um, 
I pray and hope and believe God is calling us to a more sharply defined sense of mission. Okay? Sharply defined sense of mission. Let me give you a quote. This is from William Temple. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury, and this was, he was the Archbishop during World War II. So when you hear this quote, I think it makes it more poignant knowing that it happened then. Listen to this. The church is the only organization that does not exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it. Church is the only organization that doesn't exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it. Here's another, another zinger. This is Emil Bruner. The church exists by mission as a fire does by burning. Does that make sense? Okay? These quotes tell me two things. One, mission is part and parcel of our identity. It is not an add-on. It is not a church program. Rescue us from that thinking, Lord. <laughs> uh, two, it's about inviting others in. Okay? Biblical mission tells us that church, the people, and the building aren't just for members only. Okay? That keeps us from being too inwardly focused, I think. It's a good corrective. Mission is a holistic endeavor that involves more than just saving souls, though that is certainly a key part of it. We're trying also to save families and save communities and our own city and so on and so forth. You see those concentric circles working their way out. It comes from having a kingdom perspective and seeking to manifest the kingdom of God in dark places. Did you know that wherever you go, you bring the kingdom of God with you? That's what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus. So we join in on the good work that God's already doing. He always beats us to the punch, doesn't he? Do we ever arrive at a place he hasn't been? No, no, we don't. So when we engage in offering hospitality, when we care for the least of these, the Old Testament calls the widow, the orphan, the alien, okay? when we create a beautiful culture, when we give life, we are living out the purposes of God's kingdom. Okay? That's mission in a larger sense. And we pour ourselves out for the life of the world. I'm going to borrow that quote. That's not mine. I wish it were. For the life of the world. That's Alexander Schmidman. We pour ourselves out the same way that Jesus did for us. So mission requires sacrifice. It does. Pouring ourselves out as Jesus did. Mission requires a community of sacrificial givers. And if you're thinking, oh my gosh, did the new guy just go there? Is he going to talk about tithing on his first Sunday? <laughs> yeah, I am actually. <laughs> yes. To grow and to live into this mission, it will require more faith of us than we're comfortable with. It will. It will. God will stretch us. I promise. He's going to stretch me. I'm saying these words knowing it's going to hit me right where it hurts too, okay? Jesus spoke more about money and stewardship than he did heaven and hell. Now, why is that? I think because where your treasure is, there your what is? Your heart. Okay? And God wants his gospel to transform every part of your heart. Every part. So my challenge to all of us is this. Be the generous stewards that God has called you to be. Okay? And I'm not just talking with your money. I'm talking about the whole of your life. Everything. When you see a body of believers who are giving themselves wholly to the work of their local church, stand back. (laughs) I'm telling you, see what God does. God does a lot with a little. He performs miracles, in fact. Think of the uh, the feeding of the 5,000. This is, there's a great lesson in this for us. A few fish, a few loaves of bread. Jesus blesses it and it feeds 5,000. That was just men. With women and children, it could have been 10,000 people. Who knows? And get this. God's leftovers from that miracle were more than what was brought in the beginning. Okay? Abundance. So God does a lot with the little. Okay? So a sharply defined sense of mission. I hope and pray that God gives us more of that.
And yet, church is more than just some sort of pragmatic juggernaut machine on mission, isn't it? What does it mean to be the body of Jesus? What are we inviting people into exactly? Okay. And here's the answer. This is six. Church is a home like no other. Church is a home like no other. It has that potential. I'm not saying it always is, but church is a home like no other. It's certainly not intended to be a one-stop shop for the Christian consumer. There's so much more that people need. Let us not fall into that. Church can be a place of connection. Church can be a place of refreshment, reorientation, wrestling, and joy. It's a place where relationships flourish and mature. It's supposed to be a safe place, is it not? A place of true healing. Now, while we are certainly part missional outpost and Coast Guard vessel, you know, out looking for the lost, that's true. We're also a worshiping community. We're also part hospital, part boot camp, part school, part household. That's the New Testament language. We're a body, a community of living stones. Now, if you find a healthy church, my belief is you'll want to invest yourself in it. I really believe this. Because you'll feel at home on a deep level that is difficult to put into words, but is absolutely impossible to shake. So I want King of Kings to be that sort of place. I want it to feel like home. And I'm talking capital H. You know what I mean? I want it to feel like home, capital H. I want people to come and go, I had no idea, but this is what my soul has been hungering for, starving for, thirsting for. I want this to be a place where fellow sojourners meet and find a shared life together like no other. Doesn't mean it isn't messy, okay? It is, it is, but I find it's worth it. And wouldn't it be amazing to see our church grow, not because of people church hopping, which is what a lot of church growth is, okay? But because of new converts to the faith. How beautiful would that be to go, we had 10 people come to faith this past year and become part of King of Kings. My friends, that's what, that's true church growth. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I would love to see this place be a home like no other. Church can be a home like no other. That's a hope of prayer. Seven, and this is about you. Not that this other stuff wasn't. <laughs> I hope and pray for an empowered, passionate, praying laity. That was not intended, intended to be alliteration, but if it helps you remember it, so be it, Okay. An empowered, passionate, praying lady. You are where the real work of the gospel gets done. Okay? Eric, myself, Fred, uh, we're here for an assist, honestly. You are where the real work gets done. If we can help you get dialed into the reality that God has placed you in a specific station in life to be Jesus to other people, then i got to tell you, our battle, we've won a huge battle to do that. The people of God are a, and I'm going to borrow from Shemimim again, a liturgy for the world. People of God are a liturgy for the world. You can offer that taste of home, capital H, to other people, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your co-workers. Whoever God has placed around you. But you will need the gifts of the Spirit. Won't you? Do you want to do this in your own human power? I do not. <laughs> I've done that. I still do that. I don't want to do that. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need you to be fully equipped and live into that. I want us to be a fully alive, Holy Ghost-powered congregation. I really do. I really do. And I want us to be a praying people. A praying people. We need to encounter Acts and say, yeah, that's how God operates. Not, that seems awful odd and rare. 
we need to see, yeah, that is how God works. That is how he works. God is alive and he's well in our day and age. There's work to be done in the master's vineyard. There's work to be done and the harvest is plentiful, the scriptures tell us. But we need spirit-filled, passionate, prayerful workers. That's you. I want to see an empowered, passionate, praying laity. Yes, Jesus, bring that. Number eight, and there are only nine for those of you that are going, oh my gosh. (laughs) Just giving you my shortest hour sermon. What's the deal? Uh, Eight. And I think this, I hope this is a foregone conclusion or feels that way to you given what I just described. I want us to have a delight in Jesus. Do you know what I mean? A delight in Jesus. When you have a vital, real, intimate relationship with the King of Kings, I think it's a beautiful thing to behold. Do you know what I mean? What's it like to be around someone who's journeyed closer, closely with Jesus for decades, right? They've gone through all the ups and downs of life. And they've gone through their share of fires. And there's nothing trite or cliche about their spirituality. But they love Jesus. Remember those bumper sticker that was around for a while? Maybe it still is. Real men love Jesus. Real, I mean, I would add real children love Jesus, real women love Jesus, right? A delight in Jesus. There's something about being around these folks that is inspiring and it's wonderful. And I find it hopeful, profoundly hopeful. So I want us to have that kind of delight in Jesus, right? To walk closely with the Good Shepherd. I want us to have that. So I hope and pray for a delight in Jesus over us. Finally, some of you go, Sigh of relief. Finally, I pray and hope and believe God is calling us to a deepening of our faith. Let me give you a picture. Think of the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember when they followed the pillar of fire and the cloud, one by day, one by night? When God moved, so did they. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. They didn't jump ahead. They didn't lag behind. They were following God's pace and always with limited data. Did God often show them three steps ahead? What do you think? No, usually not. Sometimes you get a step, but the point is they're moving forward. Thomas Merton has a great prayer. I'm going to butcher it because this is just ad hoc, but uh, he essentially says, Lord, I believe you'll lead me by the right path, though I may know nothing of it. Okay? So the point is we don't always know big picture where we're going. We don't always know. We don't know where this facility that we hope to find is. I mean, we know it's Charlotte, <laughs> There's a few things we know, but we don't know. God is going to allow us to take steps, baby steps. Okay? And I want us to, I'm hoping that we follow at God's pace, even though we have limited data. Okay? If you look at the book of Acts, which I alluded to earlier, what happens when faithful men and women follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit, but they do not lean too much on their own understanding? It is phenomenal. Because of their actions, the church was born. How marvelous. What an enduring story we've joined because of all the Pauls, the Peters, the Silases, the Barnabases, the Lydias, the Priscillas, the Aquilas, the Marthas, the Marys. We're part of that same story, folks, and we get to contribute a line or two to the great salvation story. Okay, We get to do that, but it will require walking by faith and not by sight, by following the Holy Spirit. So I hope and pray for a deepening of our faith that we would follow in that sense. Okay, makes sense? Okay, let's back up just a little bit. I want you to think of all the stories in Scripture where God defies human expectations 
Are there a few of those? <laughs> I think you can make a case that the Bible is the story of God continually upsetting the apple cart of human expectation. Okay? The resurrection is a very fine example of that. But think of like Abraham and Sarah, ancient Abraham and Sarah having a child. Think of David, the last born runt of the litter, small shepherd boy who becomes a king. Not the expectation. A young Mary bearing forth Jesus, the immaculate conception. That defies expectations, doesn't it? A savior king who is humble, who is a servant, who is lowly, who is poor. The list is endless. So here's my concluding hope and prayer over us. One, that God would defy our expectations and surprise us. Okay? That God would defy our expectations and surprise us. And two, and here's probably the real trick, that we would welcome what and who he brings with open arms. Okay? So one, Jesus, defy our expectations and surprise us. And two, help us to welcome what and who you bring with open arms. Wouldn't it be beautiful? The reality is this. Um, all of our hopes and goals and dreams, they don't amount to much unless God inhabits and inspires them. They just don't. We need more than bright ideas that King of Kings is going to be what God wants King of Kings to be. Without God guiding us, without us watching and listening and following the Spirit, I have news for you, folks. A new rector does you no good. Absolutely none. Truly. So I'm praying for humility. I'm praying for listening hearts that are inclined to follow as the Lord leads. So, and we will end here, for those of you that might be restless. <laughs> Let's be ready for God to surprise us. Let's be ready for that. And I don't know how you do that, to be quite honest, except to go, Lord, uh, ready me for that. Let's be ready for God to surprise us. As the watchman waits for the morning, the scriptures say, as the night is darkest right before the dawn, let's be ready for the Lord God to surprise us with what he has in store. So I look forward to ministering together with you here in the Queen City, doing the redemptive work of Jesus together. And I really believe with my whole heart that the Lord has some great things in store for kings. I really do. So let's pray with anticipation, okay? And let's be eager to see what story God might tell in and through our church. Can we say an amen together? Amen. 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 All right. Why don't you stand and we're going to confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.